Welcome to Conscious Life Spaces Conversations Podcast. My name is Amy Adams, and I'm your guide on this journey today. Recently, I had the opportunity to sit down with Libby Parker. She is not your average nutritionist. She has her master's degree and is a registered dietitian. Join us today as we discuss the sometimes visible but oftentimes invisible diseases that fit into the category of eating disorders. We also discuss her upcoming book, Permission to Eat. As a, you know, umbrella statement, eating disorders are not about food and they're not about body image. Those are physical manifestations of the mental disease going on and the way that they're trying to cope in a way that like an alcoholic would use alcohol to cope with stress or wanting to numb out from emotions. People are using food and focus on body or food or obsessions like that to try to numb out and not feel something. Today's interview with Libby, we dig very deep into the subject of eating disorders and discuss some misperceptions about food addiction, body dysmorphia, guilt, shame. Our conversation traverses a twisting path that ultimately leads us to look at a category of eating disorders that was reframed in 2013. This following a study some years earlier in 2009 that found people in this category were more likely to die than those with the specific named disorders. A former category called EDNOS or E-D-N-O-S was reframed to other specified feeding and eating disorders, also known as OSFED. This includes a wide variety of eating disorders and represents 50% of the people that are diagnosed with an eating disorder. Although they don't fall into the familiar classifications of anorexia or bulimia, they are at a greater risk of death. All eating disorders can be deadly. I began the interview by asking Libby if she herself had suffered from an eating disorder previously. Yeah, do you want the whole story? <laughs> um, so just briefly, in college, um, I did struggle with a restrictive eating disorder. It didn't turn into full-blown anorexia, which we'll talk about in a minute, but it was um, definitely disordered eating. I was very conscious of the number of calories I was eating, so I was a calorie counter. Mm-hmm. And somewhere along the line, this is... Um, before I switched into the nutrition major, I actually started college uh, pre-veterinary. And I was you know, reading women's magazines and seeing all the diet tips and everything. And somewhere along the line, I saw like, you're not supposed to go too low on calories. So like I had it in my mind, like I need to stay between this and between this. And I was pretty rigid about that and just like couldn't turn the calorie counter off. Mm-hmm. And so I had no idea I was in an eating disorder until I was basically done with it. Um, and it was, long story short, series of fortunate events that like allowed me to break free of that cycle and to start to be okay with myself. Um, I didn't have the traditional recovery process that we can talk about too, but um, 
I definitely understand where my clients are at in that sense. And I think that really helps to be like, I know what your brain is going through and the mental hell that you're in right now. Um, but yeah, so actually because of being so obsessed with food, that's why I switched majors into nutrition. Uh-huh. And it sounds like a lot of nutrition majors actually get into it for those kinds of reasons. When I was reading all those women's magazines telling me about weight loss, somewhere along the line, some of the articles were written by dietitians, And I was like, oh, there's a job helping people lose weight? I can do that. <laughs> and like, that's how I got into the major. And it's like, it's so like cringeworthy now, like knowing, you know, on the other side of it and like telling people, you don't need to lose weight. Like you're perfect as you are and <laughs> trust your body. And uh, it's like, I got into it for the exact opposite reason, but thankfully my journey took me to where I am now. Uh-huh. I actually, I noticed when I was watch, uh, reading a lot of women's health magazines, I mean, not just health, but like, well, any kind of like glamour yeah. or any, all of those. And I um, would get depressed after reading them oftentimes because I felt like I wasn't like the models that they showed and I wasn't living up to this kind of expectation of how we were supposed to be. So I can see, I mean, I've never, fortunately, I've never had like a dis- uh, eating disorder and um but I knew other people that did and well and actually uh, oftentimes it was kind of like a secret until it got to be so bad that um then people would find out that it happened to that person so um that's just that's fascinating to me and I mean we all have our our struggles but this is I think for and I know um Men also suffer from eating disorders as well, um, but and I actually don't even think that's really spoken about uh, that much. Not and well. also non-binary trans as well. Um, I think we talk about that a little bit more, but like just to you know affirm that you know all genders can right. uh, this as well. But yeah, especially men are not really spoken about, and I think there's several reasons for that. I think uh, one is. It's still very stereotypically a girl's disease, like young white female, teenage girl. And so guys are like, oh, I'm not going to be all girly and admit that I have a problem. Or they don't know they have a problem because it's not talked about. Right. Um, They're just like, oh, like everyone does this or, you know, and often eating disorders look a little different in men too. Very, well, I don't want to say very rarely, but um, I feel like it's less of the, I just want to lose weight and get skinny and, you know, skeletal or something. And a lot of times, um, there's something, well, it'll make more sense after we talk about the different types of eating disorders, but uh-huh. there in men, um, there is a, a thing and it's not a clinical diagnosis, but it's called reverse anorexia. So like they want to get big muscles uh-huh. rather than getting super skinny. And so those ones will be, you know, working out all the time and eating a ton of food. And it's not necessarily binge eating, but the the mental space behind it is like, I need, it really is about like, I need to change my body in that sense. Mm-hmm. And just kind of as a, you know, umbrella statement, eating disorders are not about food and they're not about body image. Those are physical manifestations of the mental disease going on and the way that they're trying to cope in a way that like an alcoholic would use alcohol to cope with stress or wanting to numb out from emotions. People are using food and focus on body or food or obsessions like that to try to numb out and not feel something. 
Right. So like you said, you had like the calorie counting and I know my sister actually, she was obsessed with her scale. I mean, she was older than I was. So I think I actually, in a way it was a gift for me to see her struggle with that because then I said, I'm not going to do that. Like, <laughs> just, I mean, bad for her or good for me, but um, I mean, yeah. it really was like, cause, and she really suffered. I mean, it was amazing to see. I mean, she weighed herself every single day, probably more than once a day, but mm-hmm. you know, there was, and I actually, I don't even have a scale, which sometimes can be to my detriment maybe, but, <laughs> but um, I think, well, I think like, I think your clothes can kind of tell you different things. Yeah. Too, when you're, you know, you start to notice when you are changing your body. But so um, what kinds of eating disorders are there? I mean, the common ones that I know of are like anorexia and bulimia. And then um, I guess, I don't know if you would consider like, because um, I know like bulimia, I actually don't even really, maybe you can actually talk to us like a little bit about what each of those are because I think it gets confusing. I mean, anorexia, I've watched movies and things and probably yeah. a lot of people have, but um, I still, you know, there's, I think people have, they like have, sometimes they have one and sometimes they have both and sometimes they have. Oscillates um, back and forth, yeah. Yeah, or, um, and then I, I'm wondering too, because I always think of like anorexia as like this like super like thin, thin uh, thing where you kind of waste away. But then what about somebody who has a lot of weight on them? Like, is, is there like a, um, what kind of eating disorder would that uh, necessarily, like how could somebody end up becoming uh, like obsessed with food or something like, what, where would that fall into it? So if you could yeah. tell us a little bit about that. Great questions. Okay. So I'll just start by like listing the different types of eating disorders and then I'll break them down. Okay. So- the one I think most, like you said, most people commonly think of is anorexia nervosa. Um, and so I'll, I'm just going to name them all first. Okay. So anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, binge eating disorder, other specified feeding and eating disorders, which is kind of a catch-all for things that don't fit in the other ones. And then there's some other um, types of, they're, they're categorized as feeding and eating disorders in the um, DSM-5, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, uh-huh. uh, which is where like you diagnose depression and anxiety, all the OCD, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so then there's a couple other ones. There's um, avoidant restrictive food intake disorder. Um, and I'll just briefly say that one because it, I don't see that one a lot. It's um, There isn't a body image component to that one. It uh-huh. uh, could be someone who is, has a fear of throwing up. It could be they are very particular about textures of their food. Like these are typical, it's it's more prevalent in children and they look like extreme picky eaters. And there's some usually like trauma that happened. Um, maybe they had a feeding difficulty as a baby and now they're afraid to eat certain textures. Um, a lot of times um, like autism spectrum will be paired with it or like sensitivity. So like the kids that are very sensitive to sound or things like that might have avoidant restrictive food intake disorder. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I luckily don't see that one very often. I don't feel quite as competent in dealing with that one as other ones, but it definitely fits on the spectrum too, but it's just, it's very right. different than the other ones. So I just wanted to get that one out of the way. Yeah. So going back and like describing all of these now. So anorexia is actually not the most common eating disorder, um, okay. either binge eating disorder or other specified feeding and eating disorders is most common. And I, I personally would say other eating 
other specific eating, eating disorders. It's uh, OSFED is how to shorten it. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> so anorexia, there are several um, criteria that you have to meet to be diagnosed with it. And the nice thing about some of the changes to our current um, diagnosis criteria is that it's no longer um, related to your actual weight. It's just that you've been losing weight. Mm-hmm. So someone who is in a larger body can have anorexia. Okay. Um, it still may be called atypical anorexia in that sense because we think of typical anorexia as being clinically underweight, um, but you can have all of the symptoms of anorexia and be in a larger body. So what that is, is um, a persistent behavior that interferes with weight gain. So you something about, it, it's really restricting food. So anorexia is about not eating enough, not eating enough of certain nutrients, something that's interfering with normal weight gain for your developmental stage. Uh-huh. Um, there's also a fear of gaining weight or getting fat or body changes. So there's a lot of body image concern. And those are kind of the, the hallmark signs of anorexia. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the previous versions of the diagnosis, um, if they're female, they also had to have missed a menstrual period for at least three months because uh-huh. not everyone gets to that point or you can be very, very sick without ever skipping a period. Um, they actually took that out of the diagnosis now. Uh-huh. So I think that was really, really big because a lot of people were still um, using that previous model and like, oh, I'm not sick enough yet. I haven't missed a period. And it's like, no, you're, you're really struggling. You're doing damage to your body. And so that was a really great change that came about a couple of years ago. So you don't have to be emaciated to have anorexia, Mm -hmm. although if technically any of the eating disorders can be underweight, there is no specific weight, like this person's underweight, so they must have anorexia. No, they could have bulimia, they could have binge eating disorder, like we're in different body types. So I think it's, it's really important to note that eating disorders, you cannot tell if someone is struggling by how they look. If they're underweight, they might just be underweight for other reasons. You know, maybe they have food insecurity, maybe they have cancer, maybe it's genetic. We don't know. You can't tell that they're struggling. Likewise, someone who is in a normal, healthy weight body might be really struggling more than the thin person, and you're never going to know because they're like, oh, they look fine. Uh So they're very invisible diseases. Yeah, that's interesting, actually. Yeah, because I was actually I was thinking about uh, invisible diseases today, but I never really thought about eating disorders mm-hmm. as that because I was thinking about that. Like sometimes people have these like big challenges that we have we we don't know by looking at somebody because appearances are deceiving. So. Yeah. Wow. I I remember being in high school. I mean, already I'm older now, so it's a very old movie. (laughs) They showed like a girl struggling and, um, you know, she would become, but they also showed like this kind of idea that she would look in the mirror and then see a different body than what her body was. Is that, is that always something that happens in the disease or is that just like a, one of the kinds of not always, um, um, frequently, but not always. So that image of someone being, you know, thin and looking in the mirror and seeing a fat person or, you know, whatever, seeing disformity or like, it even can be to the extreme of like, you know, you have a zit and it, like you look in the mirror and it's like this huge honking thing, but like uh-huh. reality, you almost can really tell. Right. <laughs> um, so it's the same idea and it's called uh, body dysmorphia. 
So oh. you can have body dysmorphia without an eating disorder, but it also can be very a part of the eating disorder. Okay. All right. Yeah, I didn't really think I, I didn't know that was like a separate thing. I mean, I just yeah. I just remember that from the movie. <laughs> Yeah, so it's really, you're not seeing yourself as you truly are, like, objectively. Right. So, you know, I, I'm so in the world of eating disorders that I forget that these are not normal and not common, and, like, most people don't struggle with this stuff, thankfully. Oh, my gosh, thankfully. Yeah. Um, but, like, you know, most people look in the mirror, and they may not love everything they see. I don't think it's normal to, like, be 100% in love with your body every day. Um, right. But they look in the mirror, and they're like, all right, I look okay. You know, like, we're doing right. good. You see yourself relatively objectively. There's you know, maybe things you'd want to change, but like, it doesn't ruin your day. Mm -hmm. uh, so for people with body dysmorphia, they, they don't see themselves as they truly are. They're like, oh, like they could be, you know, a size zero and be like, oh my God, I'm so fat. And like, you know, trying to grab onto parts of their skin, like see where their, you know, love handles are and stuff. And, um, mm -hmm it's, you know, just really, they, they can't see themselves as they objectively are. And everyone else can tell them like, no, you, you know, you're, you're underweight. You're like, oh my gosh. Or, you know, I can't see that zit or, you know, whatever. And they're just like, it's, they're so obsessed with it. Like it's just inflated to them. I actually um, shared an article on my blog about that because I don't uh, consider myself as having body dysmorphia, but I have had periods where I've really struggled with looking at myself in the mirror and then actually like seeing a picture of me later on or something and thinking, you know, what is wrong with me? Like, or I gained weight and then I look back and I, and at that time I thought I was fat, so to speak. And mm -hmm. I mean, or had extra weight on me, but it really wasn't that bad. And it's like, oh, the reality thing just gets all twisted sometimes. So and, um, I think that's super common. Like we're, you know, in the moment, it's like, oh my God, you know, I, I'm fat, I'm ugly, whatever. And then like, you look back at pictures and like, oh, why didn't I appreciate that when I was there? So didn't realize this. When you like put a book up to a mirror, you're going to see the reverse text because it's like, so we're looking at ourselves, not as even as people see us, but like in this like distorted view, which yeah. I thought was really interesting because some guy actually created a mirror where, and he did it by accident. He was like in his bathroom or something and there was like a couple of mirrors and somehow they angled one uh, a proper way. And so he created this mirror where he does this angle and then he made it seamless so that when people look at it, they actually see how people look at them instead, mm -hmm. which I thought was so fascinating. I mean, I just thought, and I was like, oh, well that completely makes sense. Like no wonder why sometimes when we look in the mirror, we feel a little bit, like discombobulated because yeah. <laughs> we don't even have a real view of what we look like. So, um, but I, I also like to think of that in the sense of when we look in a mirror, we don't look at ourselves in a different sense of the way that people see us. Cause when, like, when you see someone walking towards you, you kind of take in the whole person at once and then you start to zoom in on like, Oh, I'm looking at their eyes or whatever. When we look at in the mirror we can't see our whole selves at once right. so we're kind of scanning and like oh that eyebrow hair is out of place I need to do yeah. something like you know like you're, we're looking right. very specifically and so our flaws are like highlighted to us because we can only see a little bit at a time right. rather than someone else would look at us and they would never notice that that eyebrow hair is out of place because they're taking in the whole person right right 
Okay. So sorry to get you off the track of the like um <laughs> things that I just important conversation. Like it is an important conversation. Now we continue. Let's learn together. Anorexia and bulimia nervosa, um, like anorexia and bulimia tend to be the ones people think of when they think of eating disorders, but again, they are some of the least common ones, um, although I see a lot of it because that's when people, I think more people will come in to get help with those because they do know about them and they do realize that it's a problem. Uh-huh. So bulimia, um, so the term nervosa in anorexia or bulimia nervosa means nervous. So there's an anxiety around these behaviors. Uh-huh. Um, so bulimia is the, the word part bulimia is, um, hunger of the ox. Oh, okay. <laughs> interesting thing. So they are eating a lot, typically binge eating and then, um, purging by some sort. So we typically think of vomiting, but there's a lot of different ways that people purge or compensate for eating. Uh So it could be self-induced vomiting. It could be taking laxatives or diet pills or diuretics or excess of exercise. Um, it could be restricting to try to make up for consuming calories. Like there's a lot of different things that people will do. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing is um, most people with bulimia are in a normal weight body. Okay. It's not an effective means of weight loss. And a lot of people are like, oh, well, I can't control my hunger, but I'm going to try to make up for it or something. And it doesn't work that way. Our body is very efficient at hanging on to calories because it wants to keep us alive. Right. So when you eat, even if you are throwing up like right after you eat, most of those calories are still getting absorbed because our body really wants to keep you alive, especially if you've been doing this on a regular basis or you haven't been feeding yourself enough. Your body is like, I'm clinging on to everything I can. So even if you think you got a lot of stuff up, you've actually absorbed quite a bit already. Okay, I actually have a question. So, and I don't know if this is normal. I mean, I, I think it is uh, from other people that I've spoken with, you know, just like in conversation. Sometimes like for me, I feel... You know, I eat like my regular, I have like a regular kind of dietary habit, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't really, it doesn't change that much. But then I go through like little periods of time where I don't know, maybe my body just doesn't need it. I I don't feel as hungry. And then uh, maybe for like a week or something, I won't feel as hungry. And I notice that I'm eating like a little bit less or maybe kind of different foods. And then, and then I have periods of time where I'm like really hungry if our bodies are seasonal or, you know, like, is that, that's normal. That, that is normal, right? Okay. Yes. That's, that's and, kind of a relief. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so we don't need to eat the exact same amount every day. Our body, if you're, it sounds like you're listening to your body, which is really wonderful. Uh-huh. Um, so if we're listening to our body, our body will tell us, and we're not going to have the same hunger level every single day. It's, you know, over time it will even out. So I don't, like to think of looking at any single day or single meal as the end all be all. Like we're looking at trends mm-hmm. over time. So over the course of a week or two, is it kind of averaging out? If you're, um, you know, without like full on binging, but like if you're, you know, eating more and less from day to day, that's mm-hmm. totally normal because some days we're not going to be as hungry. And some days, like if you ate more the day before, you're probably not going to be as hungry the next day because your body is still using the energy that you put in. Uh-huh. Okay. And sometimes it is seasonal too. Like if you're going through um, a period of time where, um, I don't know, like when it's really hot out, I tend to not be as hungry. Yeah. And so I think that's 
just a thing and not everyone feels that way, but you know, there's like, I think different times or if you've, you know, previously been super active and now you're not active, like you're, you know, working a desk job for a while and mm-hmm. it's not typical for you, you might be less hungry because you're just, your body's not using that much energy. Right. So it really can vary or you're in a situational thing where this is where it gets more into this could be disordered and um, we'll talk about that. But like if you're, you know, home more and, you know, more access to snacking and stuff, like I wouldn't say that that's necessarily coming out of hunger and it could develop into a problem. But, you know, sometimes it's very situational, like I have more access to food than I used to. And so I'm going to eat a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So kind of depends on what your reasoning is behind that. And like, if it was, you've been hungry this whole time and now you finally get to have food and you're honoring your body and feeding it, then that's totally normal. And you just didn't have enough access before. But if it's like, I'm just bored, so I'm going to eat, you know, that's using food, not the greatest purpose. (laughs) Right. Okay. So we have anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, and then what is like that cat that broader category? And I actually thought it was kind of interesting because when I was reading and listening, in the past, never really heard like feeding as you know what I mean. That word feeding really stuck out to me. Like, so what does that like mean? <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, so feeding, hmm, I haven't really thought about breaking that down, honestly. We also skipped over binge eating, but like, oh, binge eating I'm, sorry, I'm just going to really briefly, because I think people get the gist of this one pretty quickly. It's, it's eating, it, it's the first part of bulimia without the compensatory part of it. So it's eating more than most people would typically consume under similar circumstances in a short period of time, and usually feeling out of control, stress, guilt, or shame from eating. Uh-huh. Okay, so and, that's binge eating, and that can result in um, like a weight gain, or and besides the whole emotional things mm-hmm. like that you just mentioned, the kind of shame and all of that. I mean, that that's yeah. I think shame and food is like a huge. Oh gosh, yes. Yeah. So guilt and shame, I think, are a big part of. Well, specifically the binging, but really any of these and it's not really talked about because you've most of the eating disorders because again they're invisible diseases um people tend to hide them really well so they're eating in secret they're eating after their roommate goes to bed they're um not you know basically they're trying to not do this around other people um if they do eat a normal meal that will be the one they eat with other people and they're anxious the whole time they're doing it Grocery shopping can be extremely anxiety provoking. Um, In addition to just having the anxiety around food, uh, other mental disorders are very common things that occur alongside the eating disorder. So anxiety and depression are present in most people with eating disorders on some level. Some are very severe, some are very mild. Um, But we see a lot of OCD, bipolar, borderline personality disorder. um, Uh other personality disorders, um, autism spectrum, like those are some of the like really common ones, substance abuse disorders. So there's, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on up in the brain. Right. And it makes it very difficult to make a decision to eat, Uh to eat, to eat around other people, to purchase food, to be okay with spending money on food. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's so many levels to this. Um, and you know, like there's people who will stand in front of the refrigerator for 45 minutes 
and then walk away because it was just so overwhelming to make a choice that they couldn't even make a choice and they end up not eating at all. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, well, like people who eat normally are like, what? It's like, just grab something. <laughs> like you're hungry, you eat. Um, but for them, it's like they're, they don't trust their hunger signals. Um, Right. totally off topic there but like so, no no but can so it, not, not really I mean so the food though so when you choose food mm-hmm. um can that like because different foods have a different effect on your body so uh are some foods like uh possibly even like addicting or um or can they change or certain foods are like better for your brain even or um yeah um so food is not addictive. I think that's been a big common misconstrued uh, thing. Oh. There's a lot of studies on it. And the reason that food feels addictive is because we need it. So if you don't feed yourself enough or you don't feed yourself enough of a specific nutrient, you're going to crave it because your body is asking you for it. Right. So, you know, there's all those things that are like sugars like cocaine and, you know, so it's like no, they do both light up pleasure centers in the brain, but one is necessary for life and the other one is not. Like especially, um, and I am getting so many hate messages for this, but like, especially the low carb diets um, are really detrimental to our brain in multiple ways. Number one, our brain runs almost exclusively off of glucose, which is uh, when you break down carbohydrates to single sugars, glucose molecules are what they become. Um, so that is allowing us to stay focused and logical and think and uh, as well as move our body. That's carbohydrates, our prime energy source. Um, so when you're not giving your body enough carbohydrates, sugar and carbohydrate foods and bread and stuff feels addictive because when you get access to them and your willpower is gone because your brain is suffering, mm-hmm. um, you pretty much binge on them if you don't have the self-control and then you're like oh my gosh it's so addictive I can never eat it again I have to keep it away and it's like no your your body is literally asking you to eat that and take care right. of it wow so that's I think where there's that common misperception um particularly with carbohydrate rich foods but um anything and like you know a lot of people say that about cheese well cheese has a lot of carbohydrate in it um so it's that kind of stuff also it just you know so carbs and fat are comfort foods for people as well. And it's just, it is how evolutionarily we stayed alive. If we, you know, if we're out being hunter gatherers and we don't know when we're going to get, you know, a kill of a buffalo again, like we need to eat something. And so when we get access to quick energy, which would be from carbohydrates. So our fruits and, you know, berries and things and grains that we're collecting, that's going to give us that quick hit of energy. Fats are going to be sustainable and they have that pleasurable mouthfeel. So when we get fat, that's going to give us that long-term energy. So our body was wanting those things because it wants quick energy and it wants long lasting energy so that we can make it until we get our next food that we find. Uh And that part has not really changed through human history. We still are craving these things, even though we now have access to food 24-7 by going to a grocery store. It's amazing, actually, what you can get, I mean, anywhere in the world, Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, when I actually was living in one place, I I didn't have access to certain foods. It was kind of more... 
uh, like seasonal. So like when the strawberries or the berries would come, you know, it, everybody would be, you know, it'd be like a berry heaven, you know, <laughs> and then they'd be gone until the next year. And yeah. then now things actually change there. And, um, you can get the berries because now they're like greenhouse berries or whatever. And they're not mm-hmm. even, I don't even think they taste as good, maybe, but I don't know if it's in yeah. my head or... Yeah, that's uh, probably true. <laughs> but um, it's kind of amazing to, like, see the kinds of foods that you have access to, where, like, even that lettuce was very, like, locally grown. Like, it was, like, and during the really hard, hard part of winter, there was none. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> which was really kind of a shock, because I grew up in the United States, in the New York metropolitan area, and we had everything. You know, so, so, so like going from one place to another to have that kind of thing, it was really like an eye opener for me that I didn't understand that not everybody, you know, besides like the images that you see of people like in um, like countries that are undergoing drought or some kind of, you know, like these big tragedies mm-hmm. or something. I never really thought about it. And then about like how fortunate I was to have access to anything I wanted. Well, I think what you said about it, you know, the berries not tasting as good out of season, like that's really true. So, I mean, food is seasonal. The The fact that we can get it year round now is really novel. And um, yeah, a lot of things are either being shipped from very far places or they're being grown in greenhouses. And it's not that these things are bad, except for, you know, maybe the environmental impact of shipping it that far. But right. Um, they're, you know, you're not getting them at the peak of freshness then. You're not getting them under their normal growing circumstances. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's so much more to, you know, especially with plants, you know, growing food than just they need light and water and dirt. Um, you know, there's all the, like, um, even crop rotations. So if we're looking at agriculture, you're not, you know, ideally you're not growing the same crop year after year after year on the same plot of land. You're rotating them to get like different nitrogen levels in the soil and things like that so that they're getting different nutrients in the soil. And Uh that affects the growing ability and the taste of the food that's coming out of that. Um, so like, you know, back before we had the agricultural revolution, foods only would have been seasonal. And, our human body is designed to be able to run on seasonal food. So in the winter, you're not eating lettuce, but there's other things that you can eat and it's seasonal. So you're not eating lettuce for a few months, but then it grows again and then you're eating it for a few months. And then right. it doesn't. And so you're, you can still get all of your nutrition if you're eating seasonally for your local area. Cause I mean, I, I personally believe in God and I believe God that designed it that way. <laughs> so uh-huh. um, yeah. it's uh, very much like it's it's meant to be kind of growing that cycle. But it is nice that we can get things when we want them because food tastes yeah. good and we know we can get things where, when we yeah. want them at any time of the year. <laughs> uh, but some, pe- some people are still in, you know, food insecurity, whether it's due to location or money. And so that's um, a whole nother level of struggle if you can't get access to food. Yeah, I think that that's just, yeah, that's kind of criminal because we live in a world that can feed everyone. So I, you know, that upsets me when I think about that, you know, and this kind of struggles that we have with that sometimes with other people really suffering when there's really not a need for that. I mean, you know, yes, there are the kind of environmental factors, like you mentioned too, when you're shipping food, like a long distance, but 
you know, when people really need it, let's get it there. <laughs> so, yes. I mean, and the food waste, that's another thing too. I don't really grow a lot of stuff because I have a balcony, but um, like for food, but um, one of the things that I thought was kind of interesting too, is that some of our foods are like, don't have the same kind of potency because we don't have like a return of ash into the soil because a lot of things were burned in the past or we didn't we weren't Mm. using like plastic and we weren't using different things and so um the way that we were um growing foods there was actually like when you know paper or whatever is like burned it would like be turned into you know our wood that was heating our homes would then like feed the soil too i don't know about the ash specifically but like definitely composting into the earth is helpful so like food scraps going back into the dirt definitely increases the nutrient levels so sure that makes sense yeah I mean if we're not getting the nutrients I mean even if we're eating the food too I mean I think our you know maybe our brains are even like asking for more things too like you said like we have to listen to our body and where we're you know it's going to tell us pretty much what we need and maybe, yeah. maybe we don't even know it until we go into the grocery store and we see something and we think, oh, I'm in the mood for that or, you know, I'm in the mood for this. But I mean, I, I never really thought about it um, before about like, I mean, I know that your body is very intelligent and, uh, but I, I actually never really thought about that. So I kind of find that interesting, you know, how we're kind of going to our own little hunter gatherer in the grocery store. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I think yeah. Um, once you get to a point of being able to listen to your body, like it, it will tell you what it needs. Um, a lot of people are afraid that if they like fully surrender and, you know, let go of the control that they perceive they have, that they're going to just like eat chocolate cake all day long. And it's like, no, like, you maybe for a couple days you will because you've been depriving yourself but your body's also going to crave vegetables it's going to crave protein it's you know it's going to tell you what it needs it's not going to just eat one food for the rest of your life it's not going to just eat junk food or whatever like it your body will crave these other things and the reason you feel you're going to get out of control with something is because you've been depriving yourself of that food for a long time. So when people come to you, they recognize that they have a problem or do some people come to you because they even just feel like they might have a problem? Like, you know what I mean? Or they're not really sure. I'm kind of wondering like, how would somebody end up coming to you and what would you then do with them? Like, What, what, what would that look like when somebody would come yeah. to you? Um, I get people coming to me for all different reasons. So I I specifically work with eating disorders at this point. I've been a generalist before, and that's kind of how I got to this point of like Uh issues. And I kind of just became known for being good with eating disorders. Um, Yeah, so many different reasons. So some people are fully aware they have an eating disorder and they know they need to see a dietitian as part of their treatment team. So typically a treatment team is going to be dietitian, psychotherapist, medical doctor, potentially psychiatrist. Um, so on like a basic level, that's what it would be. And then they might need to be in a higher level of care where they're in a treatment program or at a residential facility. So it kind of depends, but if they're like, you know, staying at home and living their daily life, they're going to be seeing these other professionals. So some people are fully aware that they need to see a dietitian as part of their recovery team, whether because they've been working with other professionals and they've been told they need to or they've done readings and they are like, okay, I, my doctor diagnosed me with 
anorexia and I need to figure out how to get better from this or I feel I'm struggling with food and I don't want it to get worse. And so some people are very self-aware and will willingly come and get help. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, those are the nice ones. <laughs> I love when that happens. Um, other ones, uh, I'd say the majority of my clients come from direct referrals, typically from therapists, sometimes from doctors. Mm-hmm. So they're working with their therapist. They may have gone in for, oh, I'm feeling really depressed or I just don't feel like myself or, you know, whatever reasons they go to a therapist for, I'm having relationship mm-hmm. troubles, whatever. And over the weeks and months they're working with their therapist, it becomes apparent they are struggling with food as well. And it's not what their primary concern was going in. It's like, Oh, so you're also, you know, not eating or you're binging or you're doing X, Y, Z behavior. Um, You should go see a dietitian. And so that's, I would say that's the majority of people I end up Uh, working with. Um, Then there's the ones that don't believe they have a problem, but they come in for a completely different reason. So I get a lot of people that come and they want to learn how to lose weight. Mm-hmm. And I'm very upfront, like, I'm not going to help you lose weight. Let's see what's going on. <laughs> like, um, I believe that if we're, we're truly listening to our body, if we're taking care of it, our body has a natural happy weight it wants to fall to. Uh-huh. And if we try to push beyond that, if we try to get it too low, it's going to keep rebelling and it's going to keep bouncing back up. It's, it's the yo-yo diet cycle of you, you know, you go on a diet and inevitably most diets are going to fail. That's very statistical. Like 95% of diets will fail. And the fact that you're going to gain back the weight you lost usually plus some. Mm -hmm. And every time that you lower the amount of food that you're eating for a long period of time, your metabolism drops permanently. So you have to eat less food to maintain your weight. So if, if for the listeners out there, my main thing is please don't diet. It's going to just ruin your life. Don't diet. Um, so these people come in and they're like, I want to lose weight. And so they either talk to me and they're like, Oh, she's not going to help me lose weight. And they walk away from it. And I'm like, "Mm, okay. Um, or (laughs) they do come and work with me and we slowly dig away at like why they feel they need to lose weight. What's really going on. Uh, we'll work on nutritional deficiencies. Like if they have an iron deficiency, let's talk about foods for that. And, Oh, so this weight gain is recent when you got a desk job and you haven't been moving anymore. Like, let's talk okay. about that. And, you know, you're eating vending machine food every day, you know, like oh, some of it's just yeah. like, okay, you just need to treat your body better. It's not necessarily an eating disorder, but you know, you're not taking care of yourself and just by taking care of their body, um, they may or may not lose weight, but they're going to get healthier. Right. Um, there's this really wonderful movement happening right now called health at every size and I, when I was first reading about it, I was super skeptical. I'm like, you can't be health, healthy at every size, but it's not healthy at every size. It's health at every size. So regardless of the size of your present body, you can work on your health. So uh-huh. you can take steps to take care of your health, take care of your body. Your body may or may not change, but you know, we can have someone in a much larger body who has issues with high cholesterol and they, you know, if they make some dietary changes, if they are getting more active, they're doing behavioral things that work on that, they can lower their cholesterol and maybe their weight won't change. Mm-hmm. And it's so counterintuitive from the, the traditional medical model of you have a problem, you must need to lose weight. And that's, right. it's not necessarily true. Right. So that's kind of a cool thing that we're, we're dealing with now. One of the things too in yoga, which I actually, I'm a practitioner, but I sometimes fall off the bandwagon periodically and struggle with it. You know, I mm-hmm. mean, like, yeah. 
I'm human, but <laughs> um, I, I'm not one of those people who, um, I mean, I used to be very fit and then I, my body changed from hormones and whatnot. And then I, um, I started to get fit again because I stopped working out for a while by doing yoga, which was really great because it helped like regulate hormones and do all kinds of wonderful things. But it didn't make me like, um, like have the body I had before. It didn't make me necessarily skinny and uh, mentally it really helped me to like hold my body a different way and not, uh, feel like really shamed and everything because I had some kind of shame when I, my body changed as I aged. And, um, so I think I love seeing now, I mean, we have a lot of people who are in the poses, you know, all fancy or whatever, and they're like these perfect bodies, but there's also people who are coming out and they're doing yoga and they're like, they're super fit and they're definitely not like your typical body. Sadly, I mean, and there's still like trolls on the internet or whatever that make yeah. people or, I mean, this whole, that's actually something which... Uh, I kind of actually want to just talk to you about too a little bit is about how people sometimes perpetuate like these kind of negative like body type things because we're like um, expected to be a certain way or we're like we're insulted. I mean, I remember being a teenager and I remember um, a family member like making fun of me. I mean, that really stuck with me for years and years and years. But then I like look back and I, at that time, and I really wasn't, I mean, I was just like a teenager going through puberty, you know what I mean? Yeah. So there wasn't like anything, you know, I wasn't like super skinny. I wasn't fat. I thought I was like really fat. Like I had this idea at that time. I mean, luckily I didn't, you know, I got over it and I didn't mm -hmm. take it personally and, you know, do anything. Um, but someone said something that got to you. Yeah. And I think, but I think this is really kind of common. I, I don't know. I mean, that's may even be why besides the, you know, like how some of these kind of eating disorders develop because mm -hmm. people are, you know, they hear one thing. And if you're have like some kind of, like you said, like the depression, or if you have like bipolar or some kinds of other um, disorders that it can like, in like, uh, what is it? Not exaggerated, but um, I don't know what the word is. <laughs> Like you take it more, uh, oh, like it's amplified, um, amplified, amplified, yeah. amplified. <laughs> so, so it's like amplified, even though it's not reality. Like I think, like mm -hmm. I mean, our brains are kind of crazy in that way, like where we can do that. I know we're so, kind of sometimes jumping around here, but I just like I, I feel like I we're kind of nice that we're jumping around. <laughs> I want to comment on some of the stuff you just said there. Okay, um, good. Yeah. <laughs> so. I think, yeah, the comments that other people make are so harmful in, I, I don't even know if that's the word I want to use, but so harmful in what's happening with um, our mental process and how we view ourselves. I remember very distinctly when I was in probably ninth grade or so, one of my very best friends, and I, you know, at this point, I didn't have any body image issues. Like I was, I wasn't an overweight kid, but I was bigger. Um, but I didn't care. Like I was, you know, a, I was a pretty happy kid. And one of my best friends, um, she didn't mean any harm by this, but she, we were talking about something. I don't know how we got on this, but she said, oh, you're not fat, you're chunky. Uh -huh. And that has stuck with me. And like, I think that was a big contributor. And it's like, she, right. of course, she, she was a good friend of mine. She did not mean any harm by that. Right. But for some reason, like, oh, like, 
chunky. That's a horrible word. Like maybe I do have something wrong with me. And so that one stuck with me. So I think that a lot of comments are of course not meant to be harmful. It's just something that comes out because we're human and we say things. Um, But then there's a lot of comments, like when they are like truly like pushing your button ones, Mm -hmm. that's typically about the other person's insecurity. It's it's like bullying, you know, it's, it's not about Mm -hmm. you. So like if someone is calling someone else fat, it's usually not that they're saying that, you know, they're fat and that's bad. It's, It's usually some insecurity they have about themselves. So I know I can push your buttons by saying that you're fat. I think I'm fat. So I'm going to call you at first so that you're thinking it's you and not me, or, you know, it's usually around their own insecurities of some sort. Yeah. Actually too bad when we're younger though, we don't necessarily know that. <laughs> yeah. It still hurts. I mean, I'm like, yeah, oh, my of God, I would still be very hurt by it, but I think it does help to frame it in the way of like, it's you, it's not me. Right. It is really about you. Yeah, that book, The Four Agreements, it's like mm-hmm. the Toltec wisdom or something. And one of the things is like never take anything. Yes. And I love that because that is like a life transforming kind of statement, you know. It's I really suck at that one. <laughs> like yeah, I mean, it's, it's difficult to do. Like it's all these like little words of wisdom sometimes. It's like, okay, well, yeah, that would be great in the ideal world if I actually believe that all the time. But so, yeah, yeah, I know. and. Um, Okay, so so disclosure on that one. So I had a friend recommend that book to me. Uh-huh. And I took it really personally. <laughs> like, you think I need this? <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> so irony. <laughs> yeah. Now, I would like to just take a quick moment to remind you that there is a resource library available to you. There are downloadable meditations. There are some workbooks on gardening. There are a lot of different tools to help navigate this uh, beautiful and complex world. You can uh, access the resource library when you subscribe to the newsletter go to this website. It is getit, G-E-T-I-T dot consciouslife.guru. I will put the link um, here and also in the show notes. Now let's get back to our interview with Libby. And we are going to uh, hear a recommendation for some other uh, good books to read. We will discuss her book, Permission to Eat, and we will dig finally into the OSFED category. Before we talk about your book, because I know that you are coming out with a book and it's uh, Permission to Eat. And it's geared towards college students. But um, do you, before we get to that, do you have like another book that you think that is really great just in general for people on eating just, or maybe not necessarily eating disorders, but maybe like what could help people in general who are looking to have a more healthy diet, like, or a more healthy lifestyle? Oh, there's so many good books out right now. Uh, And I think again, we're having a shift in conversation around a lot of things. So um, one that I'm currently reading that I'm really loving right now is called Sick Enough. 
Uh-huh. And it's by Dr. Jennifer Gaudiani. She is a medical doctor who works with eating disorders. And um, it's the book is, it gets pretty clinical. So it maybe it's not the first book you read about eating disorders. But uh-huh. if you're, you're struggling and you want to know a little more of what's like going on in your body, or you're not sure if you're sick enough to get help, it's a really good book for that. And the reason she called it sick enough is because a lot of people think, oh, I'm not small enough yet. And my blood levels are fine. You know, this, that I'm not sick enough. Mm-hmm. I need to get worse before I'm worthy of receiving help. I need to get sick enough before I can call myself mm-hmm. having an eating disorder. And it's like, no, if you are having negative thoughts around food, if you're having negative behaviors around food, you are sick enough to get help. Right. And so that one Again, it's it's a little more clinical, so it's it's aimed for consumers. It's not a medical book, but right. it does it does talk a lot about um, you know lab values and bone density and you know all that kind of stuff. Um, right. For just kind of general stuff, um, Jenny Schaefer is an author who had an eating disorder, and she has written a couple of books. Um, one of them, Life Without Ed. She um, writes about what it's like living in the eating disorder, and it can be <clears throat> very affirming for people who read it and like, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Or it can be good for like family and loved ones to read and be like, that's what they're going through. Mm-hmm. Um, so books like that. Um, those are the ones on the top of my head. I do yeah. have a, a I have a resource resources page on my website that lists some other books that I really like. So if people want to go check that out, it's notyouraveragenutritionist.com. There's a resources tab. Um, there's a whole bunch of books and articles in there that I, I really like. Okay, that's great to know. So everybody has the website. So it is notyouraveragenutritionist.com. So now, can you just tell us a little bit? Um, I, I, I still haven't talked about um, the other specified feeding and eating disorders. Oh, yes, I know. Oh, yes. So um, um, this is so fascinating. I love this conversation, though. So, yeah. um, so permission to eat. Uh, can you just tell us a little bit about that? And, like, who would that be for? And um, why do you think people need permission to eat? <laughs> so, um yeah so my book um permission to eat the title actually came pretty late in the process but I was like oh my gosh I'm saying you have permission to eat to like every client I see and I have it like so many times in the book I'm like oh this is a theme this should be the book title um and it it really is a thing a lot of people don't think they're worthy of food or worthy of enough food or you know whatever and so a lot of people just kind of need that permission that they are allowed to take care of their body. Um, so many people with eating disorders, especially the ones that I've seen, are caretakers. They're people pleasers. Um, uh, this um, eating disorders have been coined like the good girl's drug. And again, it's not just girls, but um, it's something that you you can put yourself last. Whether it's truly, I want to you know, I don't think I'm worthy or using food or lack of food as a punishment. Um, A lot of people are putting it off and taking care of everything else first. So, you know, their health can suffer. They don't need food. They're not worthy of eating, but they can take care of everyone else first. Uh So that's kind of one facet of it. But really, this book is um, aimed at millennial college students or teenagers getting ready to go into college. And 
the reason for that, and this book, it could, anyone can read it and it's going to be helpful. It has a lot of tips in it and things like that. But I do focus on that population because anytime from around puberty to early adulthood is the typical onset for eating disorders. Although eating disorders can occur at any age across the spectrum. So we have Mm -hmm. people that start an eating disorder until, you know, post-menopause, like, you know, older. And, but again, the majority is that time. And I think it's because not only puberty and body changes, which is why traditionally we think of teenagers, but college is such a big trigger, whether or not they've had an eating disorder previously, it's a transition. And anytime there's a big transition or stressor in life, there's usually a need for a coping skill, even if it's a happy thing, like, oh, I get to go to college, or I'm terrified I'm going to college, Mm -hmm. um, that mix of emotions. Um, It's something where you need to cope. For a lot of people, they're living on their own for the first time, they're having to navigate food and feeding themselves for the first time, they're moving away from home, they have to meet new friends, they have to deal with a lot of adult stuff, like scheduling their own appointments, and it's very stressful. So eating disorders kind of come up as um, maybe a way to try to have some control over their environment. So I can't control all these other changes in my life, but I can control my food Uh or I'm not good enough. I'm not a straight A student, so I don't deserve to eat or a whole host of other things, but it food comes out as a coping behavior and I think a lot of people think it's not as big of a deal because it's not drugs and alcohol and, you know, all these other things that we know are very harmful. And a lot of times they're co-occurring too. So I have a lot of people that um, are, you know, drinking too much and using drugs and I've had to help get people off of cocaine and all kinds of stuff. Um, But it's, it becomes an issue and it may start off as good intentions of, oh, now that I live on my own, I'm going to eat more vegetables or something and it can spiral into um, a disorder or they're spending more time around other people that are already struggling. So like um, a college that I used to work at unofficially had the highest prevalence rates of eating disorders of any college, at least in the U S if you know, maybe not the world. I think the U S probably has pretty high rates of eating disorders. Um, And you know, you look around, it's like everyone is comparing themselves to everyone else. And so if you are spending time with people who are already doing disordered eating and have, you know, very thin fit bodies, you're of course comparing yourself and saying, well, they're not eating, so I'm not going to eat either. And, um, you know, athletes, especially like the, I saw so many runners and they're all like, well, the smaller girls on the team are running faster. So maybe I shouldn't eat that much. And if I get smaller, I'm going to run faster. And there's just so much comparison going on and they're doing their bodies a huge disservice. So that, that's kind of the beginning of the book of like why it's happening now. Right. Um, and then it goes into like how to feed yourself properly with nutrition. So I talk about like how to create your own meal plan. What are the different components of foods that you need to eat throughout the day? Uh, I talk about different uh, ways to break free of specific eating disorder behaviors. So I have um, a couple chapters on like if you are calorie counting, how to stop calorie counting. Mm-hmm. If you are uh, self-inducing vomiting, how can you stop that? And what are some you know common myths around that? If you're a binge eater for emotional reasons, how can you stop doing that? If you're a binge eater um, for, you know, out of habit, how do you stop doing that? Like I have all these different like actionable tips that I think a lot of self-help books don't get to. They talk a lot about, well, this is the eating disorder and you need to love yourself. And they kind of stop there. And so I wanted something where, yes, we talk about those things for sure. Cause I'm trying to be very like 
body positive throughout the book, but it's, um, I wanted to get really actionable things that I've used with my clients that have worked for the majority of them so that they can try to take some action on this and not just read and like, yeah, you have a problem. You know, (laughs) (laughs) so like, um, if you know, it's not supposed to be a substitute for working with your professionals. Hopefully people reading this, um, either currently are working with people or I have resources on how to find professionals and who should be on your team. You know, we talked about dietitian, therapist, doctor, potentially psychiatrist and that kind of stuff. And I have links of like, you know, websites where you can search for people in your area and whatnot. But, um, I wanted it to be very practical. So we go through that. We go through common medical complications. So if you're noticing these things happening, um, definitely get a checkup or this is what it might mean. Or if you're struggling with under eating, these are, you know, what problems you might experience and why you should get this, you know, figured out now rather than 10 months from now. And, um, it sounds great because I think that's one of the things, a lot of the kinds of books that, um, are out. I mean, so, so many of them are like comprehensive in different areas, but sometimes you get a book and it really does. It just kind of says like the same basic stuff. And we Mm -hmm. kind of need to like kick it up a little bit on some of the things because usually people, especially if they're kind of struggling and they want to buy a book like that, they already know some of the very, like very, very, very basics. And so they want to know, how can I get help? Like, not just like, yeah, okay, I know what my problem is. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> and for that reason, I, I specifically did not go through the diagnosis of all the common eating disorders. I said, like, here are some things that you you know might be experiencing. Like, you know, you skip meals or you feel a lot of guilt and shame after eating, you know, like all these things. But I didn't, like, I'm not going to break down. If you have anorexia nervosa, these are the criteria that you meet. Like, because every right. book has that. Like, if right. they can find that, like, they can Google it or they can read another book and get that. I didn't want to waste time on that. I wanted to dig right. into this is what's actually going to do something for you. This is the right. stuff that hasn't been covered in other books that I've read yet. Yeah, that's great. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I actually know some people I could send it to. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to. Um, just ask you too, because I know sometimes people like with, uh, this kind of like holistic, um, all right. So like in the whole like yoga world, for instance, Mm -hmm. that is an example because I'm familiar with it. Like there are people who are kind of like on the extreme, like they're, um, you know, they're only vegan or vegetarian, you know, it's like the whole philosophy thing or whatever. And, uh, but then, um, you know, there's also can be like some kinds of complications if you don't eat right. Like if you're just eating French fries because you're a vegan and you're not like eating anything else and you're going to have a problem. (laughs) So I I actually wanted to just like, like just touch on that a little bit. If you could talk about that. Yeah. So with any diet, even like the healthy diets, um, I think plant-based diets, vegan, vegetarian are very healthy when done appropriately. Um, you don't have to be vegan or vegetarian, but they, you know, I have no problem with people being those things. And, but you do need to take a little extra care to make sure you're getting in all of the right nutrients. Um, so vegans, especially, you know, I think there's a lot more education out there now about like things that you're typically missing. Uh, so a lot of people know that they should be taking a B12 supplement because that's only from animal products and um, things like that. But like you were saying, you can't just eat French fries all day and call yourself a vegan because you're missing out on nutrients. So just because something fits your dietary choices doesn't mean that it's all you should be eating or that you're, you're meeting your nutrient needs and that you're going to be healthy. Uh Um, So I think a lot of people, you know, they, they get on some sort of 
diet or lifestyle bandwagon, uh, whether it's something more sustainable like being vegan or something, I'm going to go full out and say stupid like keto. And um, they're like, oh, well, it fits on my diet, then I can just eat it. And you can eat it, but you need to make sure there's balance. You need to make sure that you're getting the other stuff in. So eat your French fries. There's no problem and no shame in eating the French fries, but you got to eat the other stuff too, so that you're not creating nutrition deficiencies. Right. So pretty much in, I mean, really in any kind of diet, whichever you decide to do, as long as you, you want to find balance. That's the main goal. So, I mean, cause I've actually had like been different. I've never been a vegan cause I like cheese but I, I was a vegetarian for a long time but I'm actually not a vegetarian anymore although I would like to be sometimes but I feel like you know my body is just like no 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 <laughs> so. yeah well I want to say something about that too like I think a lot of people feel they have to be extremists with whatever they choose so if you want to be vegetarian and occasionally have meat that doesn't make you a bad vegetarian that means you're honoring your body. So, you know, you can go, you know, most of the month without eating any meat and one day you're really craving it or it's the option that you're presented with when you're eating at a friend's house or something and you eat it and that doesn't make you a bad person. Right. It means you are honoring your body. You are eating food that's available and, you know, not either starving yourself or wasting food. Like it's okay. You don't have to be a hundred percent. Right. Yeah, actually, I was when I was I was a vegetarian for like twenty years, and my husband at the time he decided to become one for a while. And he, it was very funny because one night he just he was like, "Please, I have to have a hamburger. Like, would you make me one?" And I was like, "Sure, okay." So, I, and so we ended up getting meat and making him hamburgers. But it was like because he was like, "I have to have one." I have, like he just is, you know he just is doing it kind of just because. I don't know, it was easier because we both shared meals, you know, yeah. so, but then he was like, his body was like, no, you must eat me. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. That's so, yeah. I, so listen to your body, uh, mm -hmm. balance. And I really like that idea too, though, about, um, like what you mentioned about if, you know, if you somehow like you're out of place and there's a meal or whatever and to not necessarily waste the food or I mean like for me I actually when I became a vegetarian it was like because I was a younger person who was like in school and working and I didn't have a lot of money so yeah. it was cheaper to not eat meat but it wasn't really I mean I, yes I think the whole animal situation that's a whole other like you know yeah you know, a dilemma for each person to deal with on their own. So, um, yeah, but yeah. So, okay. So let's go to the, 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 the OS FED, right? Is that it? Yeah. And I want to touch one more thing on the vegetarian vegan stuff. Okay. So, um, again, I do believe you can have very, very healthy vegetarian vegan diets. And I believe there are real reasons to eat that way. I do see that as like, one of the main thing that comes up with my eating disorder clients is a lot of them go vegetarian or vegan and not for the right reasons, not because they say they, they want to be healthy, yeah. but they say, oh, I love animals, but it's, that's not why they're doing it. They're doing it because it's a socially acceptable way to restrict food. Oh yeah. So they're doing it like, Oh, I can't have that. It's not vegan. And it's a way that they're trying to not eat. Right. 
That's interesting. I never really even thought about that ever. Yeah. And that one is when it scares me because they can BS their way around it really well. Like, oh, I really care about animals and the environment. Like, great. I do too. But we, you know, you're not doing your body a service right now. And if you're not alive, you're not making an impact on taking care of the animals on the planet, right? Like, I'd, right. I'd rather you, you know, if you, I'm okay with you being vegetarian or vegan once we're at a place where your brain can support that right yeah. now, like when someone's really in recovery, I encourage them not to be, um, honestly, it's their choice, but I really do encourage them not to be a strict vegetarian or vegan because we want to see if it's the eating disorder voice that is telling them to do that, or if it is their true self. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's something where they need to kind of come to that later on. So some people realize that, oh, I was really just doing that as a part of my eating disorder and that was part of my behaviors. Right. Other people are like, no, I actually wanted to be vegetarian and it was something that I needed to figure out. And after I went back and ate meat for a while to gain weight or whatever, I realized I really don't want that. So it, mm-hmm. it was a good way for them to kind of figure that out. Like, is it me or is it the eating disorder? No, oh, that's really interesting. I, that's great, actually, to know that because I, I really haven't even thought about that. But like, at least where you know where you're coming from, too. Mm-hmm. You know, I did that once. I actually had like, uh, I decided to taste meat after I hadn't eaten it for many years, and mm-hmm. um, it actually gave me like a rush, actually, because my body wasn't used to it. But I decided mm-hmm. then to not eat it again for a while, like after mm-hmm. that. But it was it. I just was like, oh, I'm kind of curious to see, like, you know what it would be like now more just uh you know because I never like disliked it necessarily it's just that I I wanted to see like but my body was just like eh, nah <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> wow so okay so right. o- OSFED yeah the thing we keep skipping um <laughs> mysterious OSFED <sighs> yes so um so other specified feeding and eating disorders OSFED Uh, So this is kind of a catch-all for other eating disorder behaviors that don't fit into the other categories nicely, but we can put a pinpoint on. So this runs a whole gamut. So if you've heard of the term orthorexia, which is an obsession with healthy or clean eating, um, and that is really definable by the individual. So there's no like specific, this is an orthorexic diet. It's, um, it it disguises itself in many ways. So it's um, people trying to basically restrict under the guise of being healthy. And it can look like um, eating vegetarian or vegan. It can look like a macrobiotic diet, eating only local produce, eating only organic, um, eating basically whatever they deem to be clean food. And that varies from individual to individual. So all these, you know, clean eating diets that you see promoted on the internet and stuff, it's like, that scares me. It's like, that's that's diet culture that is promoting orthorexia. There, you know, you want clean food, wash it. <laughs> it's really like, why, why are we having to categorize this food so much? Um, I could talk about this all day, so I'm going to move on. Uh, so that's one thing that can fit under this category. Um, chewing and spitting food, that's one that um, there isn't a lot of talk about, but it's something where people will chew food and instead of swallowing, spit it out. And it's a form of bulimia. It, um, they're trying to avoid ingesting the calories, but they want the taste of food. So people right. will like binge eat bags of candy or whatever, but they're not swallowing. Right. Um, 
and it can cause its own host of problems. So of course, mentally, that's not, not you know, not good. <laughs> um, right, right. But also, you know, they're, they're at a higher risk of dental caries and problems and um, cavities because they're, you know, getting so much carbohydrate on their teeth and over and over and over. Um, they're, you know, potentially causing issues with um, their esophagus and stomach if there's like stomach acid. Because when, when we start smelling food, chewing food, our stomach starts preparing to digest the food. So we get acids and enzymes going into our stomach and it's getting ready to digest. So if we, we get those going and then we don't put food in the stomach, mm-hmm. uh, we have a high acid level and nothing to neutralize it. And so that can cause acid reflux, that could cause um, stomach pain or ulcers. You know, I, I don't even know all the different things that could cause, but it's right. not good. Um, and it, it basically creates a big sense of distrust with your body because you don't trust yourself to oh. know how much to eat or what hunger in fullness really look like. Um, this is like a trick, right? Yeah. Okay. And so it's um, also very expensive because, you know, you're eating all this food and not actually ingesting it. Right. Um, but it, it's probably one of the harder habits to break unless you can logic yourself out of it just because it's it's such a habit at that point And you, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I don't even know what else to say about that one. Um, luckily, I don't see that a lot, but it's definitely something that we see. Right. Um, Diabulimia, which is um, type one diabetics um, manipulating their insulin to try to lose weight, very dangerous. Um, can send them into diabetic ketoacidosis, which can basically cause organs to shut down and them to die. Wow. Um, so that's a scary one. Uh, what used to be called female athlete triad, now called relative energy deficiency in sport. So this is an athlete, not, it's um, a three pronged thing. So they're not eating enough for their energy needs, whether by choice, lack of nutrition, education, or um, not having access to food. It, you know, there doesn't have to be the mental component to it. Um, uh, Diminishing bone density, osteoporosis, osteopenia. So they're not eating enough, which does not support bone density. Mm-hmm. Uh, leading to more fractures and things. And then for people with the uterus, um, lack of menstrual period for at least three months. Mm-hmm. And so the hormones that um, help with creating menses um, are also part of bone density. So estrogen, testosterone, progesterone, other things, they all have an impact on our bone density. So if we're not eating enough, we're not creating enough hormones, and then our bone density decreases. So that leads to more fractures and um, diminished bone density, which can, you know, cause issues like osteoporosis very early age. We see, you know, teenagers with this, you know, bone density of 80 year olds. It's very scary because once you get past your mid twenties, you're not really gaining bone density anymore. You're just maintaining it. Right. Um, So that's a scary scary. one. Yeah. And for that diagnosis, there's um, you don't have to have body image issues. It doesn't necessarily fit the traditional eating disorder patterns, but they're not getting enough. So that can just be truly from a lack of knowing what to put in your body. Right. Um, what else? Um, it could be frequency of behavior. So for bulimia and binge eating disorder, there is a, a frequency level they need to be doing it in order to meet the diagnostic criteria. So if they're not doing it frequently enough or it's newer, it would fit in this category. Okay. 
Um, atypical anorexia, so they're meeting most of the requirements for anorexia, but not all of them. Um, so I think this is where it's still like, if you're doing all of the behaviors of anorexia, but you're not underweight, that's where you would fit in as well. All of these things have the potential to basically kill you. I mean, that's pretty yeah. much like it's... Yeah. Your your organs will start to shut down. And the funny thing is, um, you know, if you get blood work done, you go to a doctor's appointment, you're going to be told that you're fine unless you bring something up and tell them what you're doing. Because usually lab values are perfect until it's really late in the game. Right. I think and that's... Then, then it's kind of hard to turn back. Like, yeah. like, I mean, that that's even harder to recover from, right? So exactly. the damage kind of gets done. And and so, wow. So this is just, I, I have to say, I really love this conversation because it's so informative. And um, I think a lot of people need to know more about this. I mean, besides like those random movies that we see on TV about the, you know, the mm -hmm. girl or the guy who has a eating disorder, you know, with all the, <laughs> the romances and the not romances in them and whatever. Yeah. So. Yeah. Some of them are, are very unrealistic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know they're well-intentioned. I know, yeah. but I mean, um, yeah, so I, I loved having this conversation. Um, looking forward to your book. And also, if any whoever is listening, uh, go to notyouraveragenutritionist.com. And there you will find Libby and uh, lots of information. She's got tons of information on her website. She's got courses and, you know, all kinds of, like, really great things. So um, thank you, everyone, for listening. And until next time. If you have any questions, please send them to hello at consciouslife.guru. Now, before I sign off, I'd like to ask you to subscribe to the channel of YouTube if you're here or to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening. And please leave a review. It means a lot. And don't forget to check out our website, ConsciousLife.Guru. Until next time. Music in this production includes God Fury by Anno Domini Beats, Birds by Silent Partner, and Cast of Pods by Doug Maxwell.